Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So my arrogance, thinking that I could just pick up NHL 21 after not having played an NHL game for probably closer to uh, not a full year, like I picked it up here and there, but I thought I could pick up NHL 21 and uh, just get warmed up with an easy online game. Um, the context being that obviously the plan has been to do some streaming of that for, I don't know, whoever's interested on YouTube and patrons and things like that. Uh, so I just did a, a test private stream uh, for whoever was on the Patreon exclusive Discord and wanted to log in and and watch it. And uh, obviously, I picked the Red Wings, despite the fact that the NHL game creators made them an awful team. I have no idea why they would do such a thing. I played uh, the Canucks. There's these two guys playing as the Canucks, and I got pumped. Like, the few people who were tuned in to watch the test stream watched me get destroyed 5 nothing, And it was just such a humbling experience because I used to be good at that game. And... It was very much a lot of moments of like me screaming at the mechanics and then thinking, is it me that's wrong? No, it's the kids that are wrong or however that Skinner quote goes. Anyways, getting old. Try me. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> you went to the gym, you didn't work out lats and your lats were sore this morning? Yep. Yeah. To, to be fair, I hadn't been at the gym in three months thanks to the lockdown, but uh, yeah, yeah, I... Uh, did a lot of rehab work, obviously a lot of focus on the shoulders, and my lats hurt today. It was a fun little experience that I was not expecting. And Evan, you had your own little workout. Yeah, I went for a golf fitting, and I hit probably 40 to 50 golf balls, and I couldn't sit up in my bed the next morning. <laughs> I had to roll out because I am just a bag of sand. <laughs> We are held together by like dried up glue and the notion that we have to record a podcast twice a week. That's the only <laughs> thing keeping our physical body parts together at this point. And on that note, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. And that's Evan. Um, before we jump into the what's what of today's podcast and, and getting into all the good Red Wings and hockey content, I uh, first want to acknowledge um, the passing of Walter Gretzky uh, a few days ago on March 4th. Um, you won't have had to look far to know how beloved Walter Gretzky was across Canada and the hockey world, of course, known as Canada's hockey dad, just the ultimate hockey dad and uh, it goes without saying that he's uh, he brought to the hockey world the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, extremely, extremely sad, and and uh, but a lot of amazing memories that people have with Walter Gretzky. The most resounding one has been that he always had time for every single hockey fan uh, who met him uh, or who wanted to meet him. I think everyone I know, including myself, has a I met Walter Gretzky moment, and it's always full of, you know, he was gracious and he took the time and he talked to us about hockey. So um, the hockey world lost a, a, a giant a few days ago. Yeah, and it is really true. Everybody has their own Walter story, especially around where we live in particular, because um, Kitchener-Waterloo um, falls into – the Alliance Hockey League for minor hockey. And as part of the Alliance Hockey Loop is uh, Brantford. So 
you know, Evan grew up playing in Waterloo. I grew up playing in Kitchener. So we would travel to Brantford all the time. My uh, first, I, here's the thing. It's not a cliche. Walt lived at the arena in Brantford um, for over nearly a decade. Almost every single time we played a game in Brantford, Walt was there. And I'm not exaggerating nearly every single time. Sometimes it was because he was helping out or coaching one of the teams I was playing against, or he just was in the arena hanging out. And the first moment I had of, wow, this guy's memory just, you know, blew my 10 year old brain. Um, not, I'm not going to describe the arena because they've revamped the Gretzky Arena in Brantford a ton since when I played minor hockey. But when you walked in, there was a sta- there was a set of stairs that went up to like an upper level concourse, kind of like a bar and restaurant type area, although kind of not really. And then going around either side of it was the hallways to the dressing room. So we would always pass this set of stairs um, to get to the dressing room. So the one day I'm walking in with my dad, I, I can't be more than nine or 10 years old. So I've been playing in Brantford for maybe two, three years at this point. And um, all of a sudden down the stairs comes Walt just barreling down there. And this would have been around 97, 98. So Walt had his aneurysm at this point, but you never know it. Cause he came down the stairs at Mach five and I'm just like, Oh, there's Walt. And I'm the only person in line of sight here. And all I hear is, Brad, Brad, Brad. And I'm like, how the F do you know my name? I've met, I've actually spoken with this human being maybe three times to this point. Seen him a bunch, but maybe spoken to him three times. And he's like, I need your stick. I need your stick. Grabs my stick, runs back upstairs. I'm like, oh, I got a game in a half hour. What the hell is going <laughs> on? Um, And then I just hear this big roar of laughter coming from upstairs as I'm walking upstairs to ex- to figure out what the hell happened to my stick. Um, big roar of laughter. As I get to the top step, there's Walt waiting for me. Hey, hey, thanks, man. Good luck on the ice tonight. And then he runs back to his doing hands my stick. To this day, I have no idea what he did with it, but apparently it got a huge laugh upstairs. <laughs> Remembered my name. Blew my mind. It was it, it made my month to have a little 10-year-old idiot you know, Walter, Walter Gretzky knew who I was. It was the craziest thing ever. One of the biggest legends in hockey took your stick upstairs and went, Hey, I just stole a stick from a 10 year old. Get a load of this. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea what happened. Never, never did find out. Um, and then the other funny Walt story I have, and it, and it kind of relates back to him living at the rink, but it has nothing to do with the rink at the time. So, um, back when I was running the card store, I was at, um, a private event hosted by Upper Deck at um, the Hockey Hall of Fame. And there was a surprise guest speaker of honor for the night and blew all our minds when the surprise guest speaker came out and it was Wayne Gretzky. Um, I still have a picture of myself, Crystal and Gretzky with the cop. One of my greatest hockey memories and I wasn't even playing hockey, but um, because Wayne was there, Walt was there. And he was just mingling the room. He, this this poor, sweet man. He's in a room with 200 or so card collectors, shop owners. Not, not what you would call the most um, socially well-adjusted crowd. Um, so a lot of my, sweaty creases in that room. Yeah. So... <laughs> Given that, you know, me and my uh, my friends were there, we were one of the younger 
uh, no, we were the youngest group of people there and we all brought our wives and girlfriends and, uh, and whatnot. And there was a point we had to go talk to someone. So our table while we were gone was just, just our, just the girls. And so <laughs> we come back from whatever the hell it was we were doing. And then there's these four girls sitting there and one older man we see from behind. We're like, okay, this, this is odd. We sit down. It's Walt. So <laughs> nobody can tell me it was a coincidence he picked that table in that room. But Mr. Steal Your Girl, Walter Gresky. Yeah. So we're we're sitting there and he's having the time of his life talking to them. And then we all sit down and, and he's still polite, but you can see his excitement level came down a little bit. He's like, oh, here we go with all the usual questions about whatever everybody else in the room was asking. And then that's the funny part, but then the heartwarming part. So I uh, I made a comment just like, hey, Walt. It's been a minute. Haven't seen you. And he's like, and I knew he wouldn't remember me. There's no way. And so I see the wheels turning and I'm like, I'm just kidding. I, have, I haven't seen you in like 20 years. And he's like, oh, um, you know, where would I know you from? I'm like, oh, I played minor hockey for Kitchener in the in the 90s. So I, I was in Brantford all the time. And as soon as I mentioned minor hockey in Brantford, you could just see his eyes light up. This was a conversation he absolutely wanted to have with a person who he hadn't seen in 20 years, forgot about the actual reason he probably sat down at the table and just sat there and talked with me and my buddies about uh, the rink in Brantford and the odd in Kitchener and uh, some of the memories of those old 99ers and green shirt rivalries. And it, it was crazy how it just, even at that age, it just went like a switch. Just, okay, yeah, we're in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but I'm back at the Brantford rink right now. And he sat there for a very long time chatting with us almost everybody at that table completely forgot that Wayne was in the room because we were all in such a great conversation with Walter yeah and and like you said Brad there's no shortage of stories like that to go around about Walter so um, Walter has passed on but his legacy is going to have an impact on the game for as long as it it persists so um, good memories about Walter all right, uh, before we jump into the podcast, just a couple housekeeping items. Um, so the those of you who have won the uh, t-shirt giveaway, the one that we expected to be a few t-shirt and I think extended to about 50 t-shirts, uh, we did a, a big batch order of shirts and are going to be sending those out. So it's just about getting them produced and then mailed. Uh, when it's as many as this, it can just take a little longer. So uh, they're ordered. Um, that process is underway. So stay tuned. Um, patrons, name level sponsors. Uh, uh, especially, uh, we, whenever we develop some new swag, we reach out to you and say, Hey, do you want some of this? And, uh, some of them have been, uh, some of the more recent ones have been things like pins. So those are going to be coming out to you in the next little while here, just about kind of getting the right mailing packaging and stuff. Part of having a podcast is learning a lot about mail. Uh, and then our latest contest. Now that sports are happening again, Evan has more contests to run. So Evan, tell him about March Madness. Yeah, I'm sure it's not uh, too much of a contest, but everybody knows March Madness. I think every year we do a bracket, a uh, bracket group with everyone. So um, we're going to do another one this year. Actually, we didn't do one last year because of COVID. Yeah, it was canceled. There you go. Welcome. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know. It's been one year, 10 years, who knows? Um, so we're going to be running that again. Um, I think what we typically do is it's the $5 tier and up, um, get access. Um, and it starts on March 19th, I believe. So, 
Um, we'll be sending out those links soon. Just keep an eye on your inbox on Patreon. Yep. Um, it should be a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun. I don't know anything about it. And I just pick random teams and, um, I act like an expert. So it's great. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with some prizes for this year as well. And, uh, who knows? Maybe you'll get a perfect bracket and win a billion dollars. <laughs> we we have a 10% take if you do that, just so you know. Yes, at least. Yeah. Um, some prizes, custom winged wheel podcast jersey, Red Wings tickets, smaller things like swag packages, things like that. Fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Red Wings. Uh, one game since we last spoke, and it was the big one. It was uh, this Fetchnikov bull or the Svechnikov brothers facing off for the first time and uh you know whenever there's one game we always run the risk of there not being a lot to talk about which kind of blows but this was a, a pretty eventful game it ended up being a, a pretty decide like a decisive loss in the end for the Red Wings if you but if you don't count the last 20 minutes um a lot more of a thrilling game and a lot of storylines to take away here so let's open up talking first about the brothers Svechnikov Andre and Evgeny finally get to face off. Andre being the younger, you know, already established phenom Carolina and Evgeny, who's had the long, arduous path to the NHL, but has seen uh, some ice time in the winged wheel this year for four games, counting the Carolina game. So um, it was just such a nice moment. And it was kind of one of those storylines where you could tell the entire hockey uh, community that was tuned into the game. So both Carolina and Detroit uh, were really invested in it. Uh, everyone was just happy to have this small nicety in the game, like in a time where everything kind of sucks and is uncertain at best. Uh, people were really engaging with this whole, this fashion cop brother storyline. The photo at the beginning was one of like the most <laughs> heartwarming NHL photos, like the hockey, uh, pictures that you see that you've seen. So that was really cool to see. And, uh, they both got on the scoreboard, which was nice. I did try advocating for the rule that, uh, Andre's goals counted for both teams, but, Unfortunately, this was not the case, but uh, Evgeny got the uh, the assist on there. Yeah, it was um, pretty well perfect scenario for the brothers where they both got on the board. Uh, the team that, ignoring our bias, the team that needed the points got the points. So, <laughs> um, I mean, it was good. Svechnikov played the least amount of minutes of, I think, any forward on the Red Wings. But hey, power play assist. Got to play his brother. You could even see him after the photo they took. Someone said something to him and and he mouthed back. It's unbelievable. I mean, it it, it, w- it it's crazy to think that Svechnikov was drafted almost six years ago. And this is just happening now. Now, I know Andre was only drafted two years ago, but two and a half years ago. But still, it's it's got to be a crazy morning. And the thing, too, is I don't think a lot of people because it's been so long since the draft and we've had the spotlight on a lot of other prospects. Just remember how crazy Svechnikov's and his brother's minor hockey was. They lived closer to China than they did Moscow. So the fact that they're even in the NHL is is uh, crazy and a testament to how dedicated they are. So it was great to see. It was, it was a spotlight shining on something that made us happy for quite honestly one of the very few moments this season yeah and it's what we talked about last episode it's not gonna it wasn't gonna end up being some like we're gonna make a movie about this game moment it was just a nice thing that we wanted so it was good that that came through um you talked about that power play assist brad that power play assist came on philip zadina's goal uh one of two for the night and let me just say that was the best game 
we've seen from Philip Zadina all year, possibly in his career so far, in his very young career. He is unreal. He had a couple phenomenal zone entries where he did it himself, some great setups. The the snipe on his first goal uh, wasn't anything super special, but like it's one of those ones where players like him should score, and he did, where he caught it and released it in one motion, picked his corner, great goal. Zadina is going to score hundreds like that in his career. Uh, I just would like to personally thank Philip Zadina for the timing on that goal. Because a lot of people were in my mentions. Yeah. 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 A lot of people were in my mentions because not that long before that, Philip Zena had a clear breakaway, uh, you know, blocked a shot to get his own breakaway. So a very earned breakaway and made a pretty nice move on Nadelkovich. And Nadelkovich just made a really good save on him. And people are like, oh, he's got to shoot that. I'm like, that backhand, forehand, five hole move works a lot in the NHL. It didn't on this one because the goalie played it well. It happens, but God, I think the man, all the Mantha haters, um, those uh, middle-aged men with goatees who just yell in my mentions, um, they momentarily- You're a middle-aged man with a goatee. <laughs> no, I've got a little bit on the side too. It's not just a goatee. <laughs> it, it's what gets me off. And how dare you say I'm middle-aged? That's still a couple of years away. Okay. We're definitely doing phrasing because you have had a few different- quotes here both on the podcast and twitter and i'm starting to think you're doing it intentionally regardless continue i never claimed i wasn't anyways um they were all over zadina for missing that breakaway because how dare he um so i sent out this tweet long tweet about hey zadina is actually having a really good year his shooting percentage right now is comically low he was shooting 3.1% at that point, which he's a career 9% shooter. But given that it's a very small sample size, that is heavily, that 9% is heavily on the 3% this year. He's probably closer to an 11 to 12% shooter with someone of his talent. So I sent out a tweet of saying, yeah, I understand the goal totals aren't there. It's not going to last. I'm not exaggerating. There was less than a 10 second buffer between when I hit send and when that goal went in on my TV. Yeah, it was you're, it was justice. You're not kidding. You tweeted that and before like I was going to like quote tweet it myself or like retweet it or something because it was a very good point. Um and often I appreciate when you do that because sometimes like I'm just too focused to the game. I was like, oh, I don't want to type all that out. Brad's got it. <laughs> and before I could even do it, Zadina scored. I went, oh. Okay, there it is. And there we go. That was the first time you did it because you did it again later. <laughs> yeah, I I love Philip Zadina at the end of that game. Yeah. So Zadina had two goals. The first uh, being, you know, just a, a solid goal. Put the. Um, we have to talk in depth about that second goal, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're going yeah, to. We have the, the, to. The first was a great, you know, just a great solid goal. Uh, the puck came to him in a high danger area and he buried it with the defender in his face and the goalie, like he had to put it in the right spot on the goalie, um, fooled the goalie and it went in. Uh, the second goal, and you made a good point about this, Brad. I think, I think you said this on Twitter. Um, you might have the notion that that goal was an easy goal to put in. But you really need to understand when people talk about a goal scorer's mentality or a goal scorer's goal or this guy's a natural goal scorer, that is a play that you can take and you can watch that clip and say, 
right, that fits in this category. That's what a natural goal scorer can do. For Zadina to change not just the angle of his stick, the angle of his entire body, the motion with which he was skating to bury a puck that wasn't – I'm pretty sure it wasn't even sitting right for him. That was a phenomenal finish. And it happened in a snap. Like it happened in an instant. You talked about Svechnikov's power play goal uh, from a couple of games ago, Brad, where he just – like it was a catch, uh, open up your hit, hips, release very quickly. Like if that was impressive, Zadina's is, is, is phenomenal. There are few – sayings in hockey i hate more than when someone says oh you have to play the game to understand it because it's it's a bs line but honestly that goal i have a really hard time explaining to the level of difficulty to someone who hasn't attempted it before is the i guess the most polite way i can put it because he was standing in the far circle looking for the one timer. But when Adam Ernie made that pass over to him, I, I can't remember if it was deflected or Ernie just whipped it, but it came to him slow. So his momentum is taking him towards the end boards, not towards the net, towards the end boards. And cause he was expecting the puck to get there quicker and it didn't. So as that puck is literally rolling on edge, uh, bouncing around towards him, He's in his shooting motion, but now his momentum is taking him to the side of the net, like 10 feet to the right of the net. And that does him no good. So he opens up his body, but he's already kind of in the shooting motion. So he's his release, the momentum of his shot is away from the momentum of his body. With a rolling puck. With his momentum taking him in a direction that's not ideal, with a goalie in position to make the save here, he managed to catch that rolling puck at an odd angle, changing his shooting motion in the middle of it, and putting it short side bar down. That type of shot is incredible. That body control the ability to improvise like that on the fly, and then just having the technical skill to catch a rolling puck cleanly, get everything on it with accuracy. It's one of those goals you watch quickly in real time and you're like, great goal, but like we see those goals scored all the time. No, that might be from a technical standpoint, the most impressive goal a Red Wing has scored this year. Honestly, it was that good. Puck fluttering in the goalie. I, and I'm sorry if you said this just there, Brad. I was too busy actually just watching the video. It's up on half of my screen here. But Nedeljkovic was squared up to it. It's not like he was sliding over. Like He tracked that puck perfectly the whole way. Maybe his glove wasn't in the perfect spot, but Zadina picked that his glove had fallen to his side. Just a fantastic goal. And even after – okay, so Zadina got the breakaway. He didn't score. Uh, but he was buzzing at that point, and you were commenting on the fact that he was having a good game. Zadina scored the power play goal. No, sorry, the his first goal. And then after that, he was like a bloodhound. Like he was absolutely on it, and you could tell that he was feeling it. The difference in Zadina's game when you saw that he was confident and that pucks were starting to go his way, because like you said, he was shooting at a, an unsustainably low rate. It was just a bad luck stretch for any shooter in the NHL. 
the confidence that entered his game once the puck started going in for him, it was a different player. And he was already having a good season. Like, I, I think Zadina was already having a good season, you know, the results on the board aside, which is a big caveat you can have for literally every Red Wing this year. Um, I said it, uh, I said it on Twitter. He's a game changer. When he's confident and he knows he can score and he knows pucks are going to go his way, he's a game changer. And that was just a, a flutter of excitement for Red Wings fans because you're like, that is what is lying underneath a, this thick layer of just like crap of the rebuild. Like this is a, this is such a tough rebuild. You know, everyone is muted with their their outcomes right now. Everyone is muted with their production right now. Like our best players aren't playing to their full potential because they don't. They not they can't necessarily like uh, the development of young guys is uh, seems a little bit hindered or it's a little bit slower or it's not as apparent as you would like it to be because it's a rebuilding team they're not going to win a lot of games so when we get a chance to flake off that crust and see that the raw talent and the excitement for the future lying underneath that was just uh it, it was a, a very exciting stretch you commented Brad last episode that you know Red Wings fans were really down in the dumps uh, in the game previous against Columbus I believe. No one was engaging online. No one was really tuning in. Complete 180 for at least the first two periods of this game. Like, just really exciting hockey. I'm sorry I waxed poetic there, but it was just fun to watch. It was. We had the Svechnikov storyline, which got everybody to the TV. And then Philip Zadina popped off, which kept everybody to the TV, which might not have been the greatest thing (laughs) (laughs) the way that finished. But for 40 minutes there... That was the happiest I've seen Red Wings fans all season because we can talk about, you know, how well Svechnikov played in his limited minutes. We can talk about Philip Zadina having arguably his, arguably his best game as a professional. The Red Wings outplayed, legitimately outplayed one of the best teams in the league for the first 40 minutes of that game, which is not something that has happened even against mediocre to bad teams this year. The Red Wings were by, not by far, but the Red Wings were definitively the better team. And then the it third was, period happened. <laughs> yeah, it was to the point where Evan, like he wasn't able to watch the start of the game and we were messaging in the chat and he's like, oh, is this, a, he's like, it's a good game, eh? And I, we were like, oh yeah, really good. And Evan, <laughs> I didn't know Evan had a superstitious side. I was like, all right, well, if they're doing well, I'm not tuning in. I think I was laying on the couch half asleep at that point. And I was like, well, I don't want to ruin a good thing by turning it on and Clearly, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, as always, it was your fault in the end. Yeah. Um, without diving too much into it, Brad alluded to it. Third period collapse. Just this period started off extremely poorly. It was all Carolina. It, 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 it came through for them with the goals. They won decisively in the end. I think the final score was, what, 5-2? Yeah. Yeah, 5-2. Goalie was pulled with over five minutes left, actually down two goals. Um, I'm not sure where that works in with like the the predictive modeling. Um, was that a bit early even for? Not really. Okay. It, well, it varies team by team. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this because I I agree with the early goalie pull. He does it a lot and he does it for good reason. This is a team that struggles to score goals more than probably any other team in the NHL. If they could only muster two goals in the first 55 minutes of the game and they're down by two with five minutes left, you think they're scoring two without any help? No, of course they're not. So yeah, get whatever advantage you can as quickly as possible. You're going to need it. And when it screws up, it looks bad, but that's the reality of it. So 
Would you rather lose 4-2, 4-3, or 5-2? Guess what? It doesn't matter. It's an L. It does not matter if they score with five minutes left into the empty net or with 30 seconds left into the empty net. And as someone with kids, I appreciated that that game was over with five minutes left (laughs) because I could start getting ready for bed then. So there's always, you know, silver linings. But yeah, the, the analytics say pull early. So if you're a believer in the analytics, you should agree with Jeff Blaschel's decision. If you've watched the Red Wings this year and you're aware of their ability to score goals at five on five, you should probably agree with Jeff Blaschel's decision. Like we can, we can rip on him all we want for some of the absolutely batshit stupid things he does. Like uh, Evgeny Svechnikov is an extra in practice today, which is usually a sign for a healthy scratch the next game, which makes no goddamn sense. But he's right sometimes, and we have to admit when he's right. And pulling the goalie early is the correct decision. Uh, yeah, so we're not going to dive too much into why the that third period was bad. It's not a new story, and it's not the last time we'll see it. Um, one thing I want to talk about, and this came as a surprise who this involved, but Robbie Fabry had a, a slew foot against him. A pretty creative one, actually, the way it worked. Um, from Brett Pesci, and that's just not the kind of player Brett Pesci is, so I was kind of shocked when it was him. Um, Fabry and Pesci, I don't know if they got tangled up or something before, but they were both skating towards their benches. Fabry was in front of Pesci. Pesci put his stick across Fabry's back legs, wound up with his, his right leg, spread it wide. So it was behind Fabry's and kicked his feet out from under him. Fabry obviously fell comically backwards as you do when you are slew footed. If you haven't been slew footed before, or if you haven't skated before, there's a reason people were so up in arms over this. It is one of the more dangerous plays that you can make in hockey. People are going to break tailbones. People are going to get concussed. People are going to break their wrists or arms or they're going to shatter their elbows. Um, I've personally seen some. The worst wrist break I've ever seen playing the game came from when one of my teammates got slew footed. Um, and that was one of the biggest brawls that we also had on the ice afterwards. Um it's not a joke. It's one of the grossest plays that you can make in hockey. And, you know, it's really, there's a, there's, there's not a lot of room for, oh, this was an accident. Like when it's slew foot happens, it's a slew foot. Brett Pesci had the most slew foot, slew foot of all slew foots to ever have been slew footed. I saw and one national hockey writer. I forget which one it was, but it was outside of our Detroit bubble, which is rare. The national media in either country isn't paying any attention to the Red Wings this year. Uh, but someone tweeted the video and basically said, well, this will make it easier for the NHL GM meetings to define what a slew foot is because they can just show this video. <laughs> it's textbook. And we all we all were kidding when we said this, but we were also 100% serious. We knew what was going to happen. It was going to be a fine of, you know, the maximum allowable fine of whatever $5,000 or whatever it is and no suspension. Uh, Pesci himself got a two-minute tripping minor on the play. And especially because it was a two-minute minor, I was like, okay, that has to be a suspension. I don't think they'll give him one because of who the Department of Player Safety is, but that has to be a suspension. It just has to be. Um, It wasn't even an hour after the end of the game. Like, they didn't even take – they didn't even have a chance to sleep on their own stupid decision. And we got the tweet. Brett Pesci has been fined the maximum allowable amount of $5,000, which is equivalent to like, what, 25 bucks based on the amount of salary he's making. No suspension. Here's my thing. If that was a five-minute major, 
in a game misconduct, I'd say, yep, that's it. Perfect. The guy has no priors. He's not a dirty player. He hasn't been suspended within whatever the the time allotment is before that. The one game is fine. He missed the rest of this game. That's good in my books. Five-minute major against his team, good in my books. But it was the two-minute minor. There's What is the purpose of the not a read, repeat offender rule? If it's going to be used so stringently so as – to the point where we get to, or sorry, so that we get to the point where no player is ever really truly punished. They're, they're fined chump change. I understand the notion of it and I understand why it's in place, but I think it needs to be dialed back and only applied to situations where, you know, a, a, a previous history should be used as a multiplier rather than a shield against suspensions, if that makes sense. Like, for example, let's look at Tom Wilson. The fact that he's a repeat offender, that should have added on to whatever the suspension is at a base level. The thing that gets me is like the slew foot, let's say Fabry broke his wrist, like he, there's no mechanism in there to say where his wrist is saying, well, this he's never fallen on his wrist before, so I won't break as a wrist because Fabry isn't a repeat wrist breaker. Like it's so stupid, the fact that it's equated in this way where a player can't get punished just because they've never done anything before. And you're also setting up a standard where no player ever gets punished. Like he's not a repeat offender, he's been fined but never suspended. I've actually seen that argument. And I'm saying like, well, he's never been suspended because he's never been suspended. It's a stupid self-perpetuating, no one ever gets suspended cycle. And it's obvious why it's the case. The NHLPA doesn't want players losing games and salary. And the Department of Player Safety, I don't know, is headed by a goon. It's it just it's stupid and it's it's the wrong call. Look, I'm biased. I'm obviously biased. I'm I'm, I'm looking out for the best interests of Fabry and the Red Wings here. But I don't know how that is not undeniably at least one game suspension. I'm not out for Brett Pesci's head. I, I This isn't the end of the world. It's not even the biggest Department of Player Safety story we're going to have today or that the NHL has had in the past few days. But it's it took him an hour to get it wrong in such a profound way. What Something has to change. I mean, at least now they have the excuse of they did it quick. That's why it's wrong. And it's not the age old excuse of they're bad at their job. And that's why they did it wrong. But my Progress. big, my big gripe with a lot of this stuff is they factor injury into it. So if two identical plays happen and let's say it's a headshot, two identical hits to a player's jaw, one guy gets a concussion. He's out three months. The other guy's like, fine. Those are different suspensions which is insane. So if we're going to factor in injuries into decisions, we, they, by their own logic, can start factoring in potential injury. Because one way a lot of players get hurt in a slew foot is when their foot, one leg gets kicked out from other them, their other leg gets pinned beneath them. So for someone who's had multiple major knee surgeries, that play could have ended Fabry's career. If his leg gets pinned under him after he gets slew-footed, that li- they're concerned that Brett Pesci might lose ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in salary because he misses a game or whatever the hell the prorated amount is. Okay, I get that. You can't have guys losing millions of dollars because they're idiots. They got to lose something, but sure, fine. What if that was the last moment of Robbie Fabry's hockey career? How much potential salary does he miss out in the future? It's, it is so ass backwards that they value the potential earnings and losses of the aggressor and not the victim. 
this whole I'm way past at this point. We need to fire George Peros and get someone else in there. It's the fundamental system that's flawed. The people that review this need to be independent of the NHL. These need to go to a mediator, an arbiter, whatever the hell you want to call it, because it needs to be unbiased and objective. Because who are we looking out for? Whose salary are we looking out for in this situation? Brett Pesci's or Robbie Fabry's? Because my first question is, what is the impact on Robbie Fabry here? Or potential impact? Not what the hell is the impact on Brett Pesci? I don't care that he loses, even if it's $100,000 because he misses however many games. Don't care. Don't do something stupid then. People have lost their careers over dumb tweets they sent 10 years ago. So there's precedence for losing money and careers over stupidity. Professional hockey is not any different, but for some reason, the NHL Department of Player Safety and the unions and the NHLPA think it is. It's a joke. I was trying to look up um, previous suspensions for slew footing, and I can't find a single one within the past five years. So... This is what happens when you get a bunch of lawyers involved uh, in hockey ops. You know, precedence is is a is a big component of it, and they'll immediately say these are all the slew footing incidences in the last five x number of years, and they weren't suspended. So there it is, case closed. <laughs> it's it's it 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 is ridiculous, obviously, um, but that's that's the framework that they operate within. Well, uh, more to come on the Department of Player Safety once we get to our league-wide news. Uh, very quickly to wrap up our Red Wings coverage here before we jump into said league-wide news. Um, this is not new news at this point. It's been kind of talked about a lot of places, uh, mainly 31 Thoughts with uh, Jeff Merrick, friend of the podcast, and Elliot Friedman, notably still to appear on this podcast. Fridge, come on. Um we need to get we first of all we need to get Jeff back on and secondly we need to get Jeff to get on Fridge. Um, we need Jeff back on. I still am firmly in the we need uh, a silly ideas with Jeff Merrick episode because that'll be one of my favorites. Yeah, that'll get people the angriest. Um, anyways, uh, Sam Gagne, obviously Red Wings uh, forward Sam Gagne and John Tavares, who's just another random player in the NHL. I'm sure you've not heard of him. So the lesser of the two noted here, uh, have purchased the GTHL team, the Toronto Marlboros. So that is the greater Toronto, uh, hockey league. I said, that's a greater Toronto hockey league. That's yep. what it's called. All right. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to get in the weeds on, on what, like the real fi- firm details on this. I highly recommend the episodes of 31 Thoughts where they do talk about this because Freege kind of dropped it as a small news thing and it's kind of blown up into something bigger. Uh, but it's really big news. Sam Gagne is known throughout hockey as a through and through incredible guy. He was in Detroit for all of like three hours before he started doing fundraising for food banks in Detroit. Like just a fantastic dude and, and known and beloved across the NHL amongst players and fans. So, you know, he's getting in this for the right reasons. And they talk and he went on 31 thoughts to talk about it. And they alluded uh, uh, to a lot of things that I thought were really good and, and tie into what we've talked about in previous episodes a while back on this podcast, which is, Getting the the shady crap out of minor hockey and and uh, especially competitive minor hockey, like you're talking about AAA teams where parents are having to shell out tens of thousands of dollars to their coach to get their kid playing time. Uh, if you want to know why that's happening, ten percent of the NHL today, and this this is credit to Thirty One Thoughts for pulling this up, ten percent of the NHL today has gone through the GTHL. 
that's how important this hockey league is. So if you're talking about the, the, the major minor hockey leagues or youth hockey leagues in, in Canada, um, the GTHL is at the top of that pyramid. So you get guys like Gagne and Tavares where they're obviously not hurting for money and owning the team and they can kind of clear out that rot. They set that example with the Toronto Marlboros. Other NHL players or people who can't be pushed around, get involved. That does a lot for getting kids who can't afford to, you know, lock in their price at, at five, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, and they still have a shot at making the NHL or, or making a name for themselves in hockey, even though their parents are, you know, middle class or poor. Yeah, and I'm gonna try and. <sighs> take a very, very long and complex problem and kind of just boil it down to a couple points here. Because anybody who's been listening to this podcast long enough knows my thoughts on how broken and corrupt minor hockey is in Canada right now. And it really is a tragedy. Um, And in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons that other countries are catching up to Canada and hockey superiority because we're losing players because they don't have the means to play at the top level and then they never break through. But the best way to fight money is with money. Because you know what John Tavares and Sam Gagne don't need? Money. They can't, they don't need to be bribed. They don't, players don't need to quote unquote lock in for ice time. Because this, the GTHL for us is especially relevant because we're only 45 minutes away from teams that play in this league. Um, there's a big problem in the U16, um, U15, U14 age levels of elite minor hockey in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, because they can't keep their players. All the best players from KW go play in Toronto. They're not supposed to. There are regional restrictions, but there's always ways to skirt the system, and nobody knows how they do it. The number one theory is, well, they're paying to do it. Of course, they're, you know, you line the right pockets, you can play where you want. Um, so, like, again, and this isn't new. This goes back to the 90s. You can't tell me for how big Southern Ontario is, south of Toronto, which was the league I played in. Only one guy from my entire league ever made the NHL. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. Yet, there's a dozen from the GGA, GTHL in my age group that made the NHL. And just to add in here, Brad's giving this a a local uh, flair because he's speaking to his experience. This applies across North America. Yeah, like think of think of your local, you know, metropolis or where all the hockey players in your youth hockey goes. Where that, like whether that's you know somewhere in Michigan or somewhere in Massachusetts or wherever it is. Like this is a a a, a big issue across minor hockey. Yeah, a thousand percent. It, it's probably amplified because this is the epicenter of hockey in the world. Um. But yeah, it's a problem everywhere. And if you're sitting there going, oh, well, my kid plays minor hockey. I don't think that happens. No, it does. It absolutely does. I'd bet money on it. So that that's what made me optimistic about Tavares and Gagne coming in here. Their pockets don't need to be lined. They shouldn't be able to be bribed. Hopefully, they put a coach in place who plays by the rules. Hopefully, they're not transferring. Hopefully... It's contagious. Hopefully this cleans up the, helps the start of cleaning up the entire league because we've all seen the stories of, you know, Wayne Simmons in Scarborough who grew up underprivileged, but, you know, managed to scrape by and, and make an NHL career out of himself. How many more could there have potentially been 
if it was an, a level playing field. So it's a start. I'm optimistic. And out of all people, like Ryan already mentioned, Sam Gagne is the perfect guy to get into this situation. And uh, yeah, hopefully it limits the corruption. Uh, those are watching on YouTube probably just saw a little cameo from Mika. Uh, anyway, no free ads, Mika. No, nope. you know the rules. <laughs> All right, we're billing Mika. She's that's coming out of her allowance. No, we can't bill her. She's too expensive for us. <laughs> uh, okay, before we jump into uh, the rest of our news here, uh, I do want to talk about uh, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast being sponsored by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are thrilled to partner with as they give us, us fans what we really need, more excitement. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for so many reasons. They're easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and you get your money back in as early as 24 hours later, uh, and they're constantly running great odds boosts and special best bets. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. We wish we could bet on games like the Red Wings' upcoming matchups against the Lightning, whether that's just to make the safe bet and pocket some easy money or go for the big underdog. That'd be fun to to dive into. But we're excited that you guys have the $1,000 risk-free to try it. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. Tom Wilson probably heard me say a few episodes ago he hasn't done anything in a little while and he kind of has played that game that makes both fantasy owners and coaches happy. And what did he do? Did something. Stupid. And he has a seven-game suspension on his hands for it. And that hit sparked more of a discussion than I really thought it would because of all of Tom Wilson's, you know, gray area. And for some reason, that gray area seems to be especially wide with him hits. That to me was most firmly. Yeah, that's a suspension. It was a play where Brandon Carlo was sitting along or uh, was along the boards. Wilson came in. He didn't jump, but he was essentially, it it seemed to me he was targeting his head the whole way. He did brush Carlo's arm at one point um, going into the hit. So it wasn't the primary point of contact. If you take primary point of contact as first, but his head was the primary point of contact. If you consider primary as the most prominent, Carlo went down in a heap, also got a cross check in the back of the neck. Thanks to Jacob Verona, which was, I'm sure helped the situation and went to the hospital in an ambulance. So um, all around terrible play. Before we dive into it, what were your guys' thoughts on the hit? It's not surprising. That's the bad part. Funny enough, by the NHL Department of Player Safety standards, Tom Wilson is not, by definition, a repeat offender. 
figure that one out because enough time had passed. Apparently 2018 was too many moons ago. So it wasn't that many episodes ago I went on a tirade about any contact to the head should be a penalty. I know some people were arguing, oh, it wasn't primary point of contact. His shoulder glanced Carlo's shoulder before his shoulder put Carlo's head through the glass. I don't care. This is one of the few things the NHL Department of Player Safety got right, where they said, yeah, there's a lot of gray areas in terms of skirting the rules here, but the cumulative action justifies the seven game suspension. I'm like, I felt it should have been harsher, but the fact that they were willing to say that going, yeah, okay, we get it. You could get off on some technicality here, but no, he just damn near put this guy's head through the glass. That's, you can't do that. So for everything they didn't do in the Fabry incident, they did do in the Carlo incident. So I think it was way too light. I hate the fact that by the rule of law in the NHL, Tom Wilson isn't deemed a repeat offender, thus didn't get the multiplier or the premium or whatever you want to call it that Ryan was mentioning earlier in the episode. It's a it's a garbage hit by a garbage player. And I hate using personal attacks on players. Like I hate it. There, there's a reason why I always walk the fine line to criticize Jeff Blashill his coaching and not Jeff Blashill, the person, because I understand those are two very different things. Tom Wilson's going to end someone's career and he knows it and he doesn't care. That is the worst part about this for me, because I'm going to ask you two straight up. Do you think this is the last time we're going to be talking about a Tom Wilson hit like this? I would put all my money on the fact that it's not all of it. There's no way. The only way it would be the last time is if the NHL said he's suspended for like he's he's banned from the NHL, which obviously is not going to happen. I'm not saying should have happened on the hit, but it's going to keep happening until he faces the proper repercussions. And we as fans need to be better. If I hear the phrase, oh, you hate playing against him, but you'd love him on your team. I'm going to slap you. He's a good hockey player. You're right. That's what makes this worse, not better. Tom Wilson could go out there and not pull any of this crap and still be a very effective, good NHL player. That's what pisses me off because he's going to end someone's career needlessly. And the narrative is going to be, well, you got to take the good with the bad. No, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. Tom Wilson can hit players. He can light guys up. Tom Wilson isn't six foot nine. He can hit them in the shoulder. It's not that difficult. Again, I've played hockey my whole life. I play contact hockey. Still do. It's not that hard to not hit a guy in the head. Like that's, I don't care how fast the NHL is. Let me repeat that. It's not that hard to not hit a guy in the head. I have zero sympathy for players when they get the book thrown at him for plays like this. And I thought Tom Wilson's suspension was way too light by at least triple. The discourse that came up afterwards had something to do with technically it wasn't, uh, you know, this or it wasn't, uh, he didn't jump. He didn't hit the head first. He didn't blah, blah, blah. And technically, because they had to make it a boarding hearing rather than, you know, whatever else it might have been, that's why he got seven games or that's why people thought – I the, the, the discourse from very prominent people said, yeah, it was an ugly hit, but technically it's legal. 
first of all, those arguments are problematic, but the issue here isn't to fix those arguments. I don't want to fix the way someone thinks. That's I, I'm not trying to police the way people think. What needs to be fixed here is the rule book. The fact that anyone can reasonably go in and find these gaping loopholes in the NHL rulebook, and they exist. I don't think these people are crazy for saying these things. They exist because the NHL does not, within its rules, have enough prescribed protections for its players, especially through contact to the head. Um, uh, the the big name agent, his name is Walsh, always advocates for this. The NHL needs to outright ban hits to the head. Like The, the NHL players are expected to be careful with their stick if they accidentally high stick someone they still get a penalty it doesn't matter if it was an accident so why why are they allowed to accidentally make contact with players heads or why are we we not putting the onus on the person delivering the hit to not make contact with the player's head we have see we know absolutely nothing you know in the scientific scheme of things about brain injuries and trauma and the long-term effects and we already know enough to know that we cannot be messing about with brain injuries. We have seen enough. And I get that there's legal issues here that the NHL, they can't admit fault because of however many hundreds of millions of dollars of lawsuits or more that they're going to be facing. This is around professional sports, especially sports where hits to the head are avoidable, which I think they are, like Brad said in hockey. The the biggest, the biggest stupidest thing that the NHL doesn't do every year is just ban hits to the head and put it in the rules where it's 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 a it's a penalty. It's a penalty. It doesn't matter if it was an accident or not. Enough with these bullshit arguments about, oh, accident or he was bent over or whatever. The onus should be on the hitter. Don't hit their head. That's it. If you can't hit them without hitting their head, you can't hit them in that moment. Play the puck. Shit. Yeah, that, that, oh, don't. this wasn't one of those incidents, but I've, I've heard that argument. Oh, what's the guy supposed to do? Not hit him. And people say, ask that like it's a real question. I think they're surprised when they come at me on Twitter with that and they go, what is he supposed to do? But he's coming through the middle with his head down. What's he going to do? Not hit him? Yeah. Yeah. You accidentally uh, stumbled across the right answer there. Yeah. Don't hit him. If he's got his head down and he's cutting through the middle and he doesn't see you coming, it's not going to be that hard to take the puck from him. You're a professional hockey player. I should hope you have some puck skill. Or hit him without contact to the head because that's possible. Yeah. Crouch lower. It literally is that simple. If you send a guy into next week by hitting him in the chest, I will be the first one to jump on the bench and give you a high five. Like it's, I'm not anti-hitting. I'm really not. I've been blown up a thousand times in my hockey career. I've had many concussions, which explains a lot for those wondering, but, (laughs) but honestly, I'm not anti-hitting. I am anti-head hits. And if the cost, and if if you're thinking, okay, well, putting that rule in waters down the game, my rebuttal is fine. Water it down. But no, it doesn't though. It It doesn't. doesn't. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. But I'm not even going to make that argument because the people who make that argument won't accept that answer. Fine. If it means that there is less suicides after retirement for hockey players. If it means there's less CTE, if it means there's less post-concussion syndrome, I'm for it. And if we want to get into the bigger picture, I guess this is the big picture episode. Everybody copies the NHL. Everybody. So you can say, yeah, I don't feel bad for millionaires who get some headaches after they retire. First of all, it's a horrible take. And, um, you really need to 
look up the word empathy, but guess what happens if the NHL takes out headshots universally? The AHL takes out headshots. Junior hockey takes out headshots. Minor hockey takes out headshots. So you might not feel bad for the guy making $6 million a year who had to miss 40 games. But what about the 15-year-old kid who's probably going to peak in double A? What about the concussion he might avoid because that rule got changed? The 14-year-old kid in single A who missed out on the concussion because it's no longer a rule. It's, it is a snowball effect and it does trickle down from the top. Trickle down economics might work, but this does. So it's not that hard to be the biggest organization in the world and say, that's it. We're protecting our players and then watch every subsequent hockey player below get the same privileges. Last point here before jumping into overtime, and we don't have time to dive dive, dive too deep into it. Maybe we will on a future episode, but Brad, I, I uh, promised you an apology last episode. Okay. Um, I railed relentlessly on on your love for Madison Bowie because I said, you know, Madison Bowie it has some offensive value, but is a train wreck defensively. And I did not cry when he left the team, and I actually advocated for filling his spot with someone else. I have sung the praises of Christian Juice pretty indiscriminately because of obviously what he's brought to the game, especially on offense and, and on the power play. You can pick out two goals which he scored or attempts that he had in the exact same way where I'm like, yes, the Red Wings have been missing that exactly every single time. And anytime I sing Christian Juice's praises, people very fairly bring up his defensive metrics, which like they're not good. Obviously, he's not one of the better defenders. It's it's a it's an understatement to say, or it's a weird statement to say, because there's not a lot of good defenders on the Red Wings, but he's still with that, like one of the worst, especially if you look at his metrics. Um and my argument back to them, like as I was typing this back, I started laughing. I'm like, I owe Brad an apology. I was like, yeah, he's bad defensively, but so is the rest of the team. And at least he contributes something offensively. And I remember criticizing you for that exact argument. And I still like Juice better than Bowie. Like, I don't, I'm not saying they're the same player. I, I don't think Juice is as bad as Bowie was defensively. And I, I appreciate his offensive game a little more. I think it's more consistent. But still, I can't in good faith continue without saying, yeah, you're right. There's value to that. And I'm sorry. Because I caught myself doing it and it was completely unintentional. And I, I, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I loathe myself for it. I don't feel good about this. <laughs> so, Well, I appreciate that. And um, it, it, it's funny too because Juice has played a bit with Heronic, but for the most part, he plays in the bottom pairing. But it's amazing what a partner on defense can do. Because imagine Christian Juice but with Troy Stetcher. That'd be a fun pairing because that Troy would... Stetcher is currently making Mark Stahl look like a very competent defenseman. Yeah. So what was it? Expected goals against per 60, which is a nice stat to say, here's how many goals sh- are, are being scored and should be scored against a specific pairing spread over 60 minutes. The number one defensive pairing in the entire NHL is Mark Stahl and Troy Stetcher. <laughs> and their expected it's goals against is really low and all that. And then 1.55 goals against per 60. Yeah. And then I saw some stat about um, Mark Stahl's, I, I, I want to say it was just basic Corsi or expected goals percentage or something like that with Troy Stetcher and without Troy Stetcher. And it plummeted by, I think, north of 20 points. So <laughs> the effect a partner can have 
Troy Stetcher is turning Mark Stahl back into a second round pick. Imagine what he could do with Christian Juice. Yeah, credit to Cameron Quam on Twitter. Uh, Stetcher and Stahl, uh, expected goal score, expected goal four percentage, um, fifty two point eight two. Stetcher without Stahl that goes up to fifty eight point oh four, and Stahl without Stetcher thirty seven point four seven. So, <laughs> yeah, so bad. Anyways, let's jump into overtime. Uh, where we take questions and comments from our listeners. Uh, and we're going to start with Patreon, where our Patreon supporters uh, are recognized as the ones who make this podcast happen and the heart and soul um, behind the Winged Wheel podcast. So to our Dub Dub patrons, Ryan Lee says, at the end of the season, who finishes lower, Detroit or Buffalo? Oh, the way Buffalo is playing right now, I almost want to say Buffalo, especially if they make a deadline move. They are about on par with Detroit with points percentage. So I'm going to go against my usual take of Detroit's going to be the worst and say Buffalo's going to be worse here. Buffalo has Eichel, Hall, Skinner, Darlene. Part of the, the logical part of my brain is going, there's no way they stay this bad for that long. But everything they've done over the last nine years is stay this bad for that long. So I I don't know what to make it. The comments Ralph Kruger makes about Jeff Skinner almost daily at this point. Um, Jeff Skinner scored a goal today. And Ralph still threw a backhanded compliment slash insult at him when he said how... The reporter literally asked him a question where Ralph's answer should have just been, yeah, it's great. I'm happy for Jeff. And he turned it into this awful answer that criticized him. It's... It, it honestly made me happy we have Jeff Blashill and not Ralph Kruger, which is not something I th- I advocated for Kruger. And, oh, I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Buffalo. I think Buffalo is going to be in the basement. That is a broken, broken team. Taylor Hall had a breakaway today and just fell. Like that, <laughs> I can't even explain what's happening to that team. Uh, Andrew Bohan says, what's it going to take for the league to start taking headshots as serious as they should? Uh, Ferk Tom Wilson, also the photo of the fetches was adorable and warm to my heart. Uh, next comment from Dick Clapper says, I feel like the best hockey I've seen Mantha play was in the 2019 World Championship where he was tied for the tourney scoring lead with Mark Stone. Maybe we need to sign his t- line mate at the time, Kyle Turris. Hey, man, I, w- I would like to get Mark Stone. <laughs> Um, La Plata Peak says the Mantha to Montreal trade rumors may again be alive and well. During the last pod, Caulfield would have to be involved for this podcast team to support that move, and I would agree. However, I don't think Montreal would feel justifiably com- compensated given the season Caulfield is having in Wisconsin. For the Habs to consider, what else would they need in return? Bernier and or one or more second round picks? Uh, I think given Montreal's position in the standings and lack of scoring depth slash goaltending, the Wings have some pieces that could help them at least compete with Toronto over, over a seven-game series. And obviously, their timeline for being a cup contender aligns with Mantha's age much better than the Wings. It's tough. Well, Montreal doesn't need goaltending. Carey Price has been bad this year, but Jake Allen's actually uh, been very good. So they're not looking at a goalie. Luke Glendening makes a lot of sense to Montreal. Like a lot of sense. Um, so if if they're not willing to give up Caulfield for Mantha, which they shouldn't, don't get me wrong. That's what I was saying as a Red Wings fan, I would want. If I'm Mark Bergevin, I'm not doing that. But if you throw in Luke Glendening and a sweetener, yeah, maybe it happens. Maybe. Because Mark, don't 
most people, myself included, are going to look at Montreal right now and go, don't be silly. You shouldn't be buying this year. Your team's not that good. Mark Bergevin's ass is on the line right now, and he knows it. He doesn't, right now, Mark Bergevin does not give two shits about next season. He needs to make something happen this year. So, yeah, he he's probably going to throw the kitchen sink at it. So, we'll we'll see what happens. Michael Berry says, who do you think will be the most desperate team at the deadline? Um, I bet is Montreal. And um, do you guys have any opinions or options as to the most desperate teams? Maybe the Wild. Sorry. The, yeah, the most desperate team at the deadline. Montreal's a good pick. I think Buffalo's also there. And you also have to throw Vancouver into the mix, just considering the GMs. So you're – well, with Buffalo, are you talking about us being sellers? Yeah, I mean – Because they're not buying. They, this season's gone. They're not. No, no. Yeah. I think just in, in any kind of like erratic behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo is going to have to make a few things happen. Montreal is going to be the most desperate buyer. There will be other buyers. Um, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in Nashville. That is a team that is playing horribly and in a really bad spot for contracts. So they don't have a lot of deadline rentals, but that team needs a shakeup. Uh, also hopefully, uh, since vaccines are being given to athletes, COVID restrictions could lighten by the trade deadline. Jake Nagy says, Hey boys, one of my best friends, Tyler is a longtime listener and has watched tons of hockey. He's working and playing in a league for the first time. He wants to work on skating. Any specific drills you could practice at an open skate or stick time that would help improve. Uh, very basic one. Like you'll learn this when you're like starting out in hockey, but I think it's good for both developing the motion and the musculature or like the muscle memory skate the circles and skate them in a figure eight, even just pick the one zone, skate the circles in a figure eight, practice your crossovers. And then when you get confident enough, reverse the direction, try it backwards, uh, skate the circles. It's, it's good just for developing that, that kind of hip movement. When it comes to skating or shooting or skills in general for hockey, I'm a big, big proponent. And I know I'm not alone in this in screw around. Tinker with stuff, try stuff, see what works, what's comfortable. Then that will expose you to what you suck at, what you're good at, where you need to post your time to, and then you can kind of hone in on it. Um, Hockey, even though you skate with two feet, a lot of single leg movements help. So go on one leg and make S's with your skates going up and down the ice. Really good for ankle flexion and strength. Um, Ryan's right. Skate the circles helps with crossovers. Practice your backwards skating. Practice your straight lines. Stops and starts. Screw around. Like you, it will open your eyes pretty quickly. What you are good and bad at, and there's no book to how to do it. Uh, all right. The next comment is from C Nods, who says hashtag Keep Svetch. Larkin's quote was a sad reality. The Wings mentality. It did take an injury to get Svechnikov his chance. Hopefully the wings wake up a bit with all the young guys coming in and focusing on them and not our rental vets. Uh, I'm not saying you don't earn your time, but they need the opportunity to do so. Uh, Callan S says, just want to thank you guys for softening the blow of Monday mornings. Don't ever change. Dangerous thing to say to Brad, but thank you, Callan. Appreciate it. Uh, happy to be in with you on Monday mornings and sorry for um, Evan being so loud. I know it's a bit much to start off your work week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing today, boys. I am running on fumes. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Kyle Williamson also says, hashtag keeps vetch. Is Larkin good enough to be a 1C on a competitive team? And where should we get a top tier center? Trade uh, for an NHL or trade for a prospect or draft? 
The answer for every GM is in reverse order and preference draft, trade for a prospect or trade for an NHL because it gets progressively more expensive. Given the landscape of the NHL right now, I'll say the most likely draft to trade for an NHLer because nobody trades prospects anymore, at least none that'll be worth a number one C. And the, uh, another big reason is there's a franchise center that could be on the trade block right now, and that doesn't happen all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, is Larkin good enough to be a 1C on a competitive team? Yeah, if there's an almost equally as good center playing 2C and then a ton of depth. I don't yeah. think he – like, you've seen a, a lot of teams have way better center talent, but at the same time, you've seen teams with similar talent but just better lineups around him. It's really hard to place Larkin in that, Larkin in that argument without a better team. Ghost of Podcast Pass says, I feel like I need a month-long vacation just not to feel utterly exhausted. Moving, house hunting, six-month-old, three-year-old, teaching full-time, end of trimester, so tired all the time. Sing me a lullaby so I can sleep. Evan, if you ever complain about being tired again, think of this guy. Yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> uh, I won't sing, but maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll record Evan just, I don't know, what do you, whatever Evan reads to you over some smooth jazz in the background. I don't read, but <laughs> uh, Juwan Howard says, "Good day, Dud Duds." It is I, Big Ten uh, hoop, Basket Hoops champ Juwan Howard, and I'm here to wish everyone a happy 66th, 66th, 66th. Wow, hard word of Juwanuary 2021, especially all the Salty Green team fans. And more news, uh, good news: the Wings haven't lost a game all weekend. I reckon we could push this to a three-day no losing streak. On the subject of losing streaks, it's past time uh, you began draft profiles, so we know who to consider for picks four to seven. We're just waiting for the draft news first. We don't know when they're holding the draft, so that's going to dictate a lot of when we start our profiles. Jersey time. In honor of International Women's Day, which it already is here on the correct side of the flat earth, please rank the most recent NWHL jerseys. This comment proudly brought to you by Stay Fresh Cheesebacks of Fournier Company. All right. So we got the Buttes, uh, the Riveters, the Did they Whale. say? Did he say NWHL or PWHPA? NWHL. Okay. The Buttes. Whale, the Whitecaps, the Buttes, yeah. the Riveters. Is it just those four? Toronto. Toronto, yeah, the Toronto Six, that's right. Yeah. All right, I'm going Toronto Six, number one with a bullet. Those jerseys are a top-tier jersey in all of sports, not just the NWHL. That is an elite group of jerseys. Um, next, I I love the Riveters logo, but their jersey is just so painfully boring. Um, same with the Whitecaps, so those are going to be my bottom two. I'm going to go Whale 2, Buttes 3, and then, yeah, I'll go Riveters, Whitecaps. I just hate the Toronto 6 name. I get it. I get it. I'd like, maybe I'm just super critical of Toronto, but I don't know. It's just not for me. I mean, the logos, the name's dumb as hell, but the logo's great, and the jerseys are even better. Doesn't Toronto have like three or four area codes? (laughs) 416 and 905, I know of. Those are the only two I know, but I thought there was another. Who cares? They could have been the Toronto <laughs> six nines. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, want to say it, but I felt obligated to. We, knowing your your role in this podcast, Evan, it's completely understandable. Thank you. Giant freaking moron says, is it time to label Philip Zadina a bust? Is Anthony Mantha the worst player in the league? I wouldn't give up Joe Valeno for Jack Eichel. Appreciate you staying on theme. <laughs> Are wow, you my thought- Twitter mentions? Like all of them? 
You know, I thought that was the the most ridiculous name I'd read. But next comments from butt shit says if those <laughs> <laughs> if those were the only two games they play in the retro reverse jerseys, I feel bad for anyone who ordered a Larkin. Scratch that. I feel bad for anyone who bought that jersey in general. Uh, Michael Thompson says, saw out of all the U20 SHL players, power play time leaders are Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. I think that's pretty neat. Can't wait for what we might have in a few years, but until then, I'll just watch Sider highlight videos with his complete disregard for the sanctity of human life and bulldozing everyone just because he can. Oh, man, I love Sider highlight packages. Someone responded, how many of those would be penalties in the NHL? I'm like, yeah, probably lots. And he probably couldn't even do that. No, half of those. They, they wouldn't. He doesn't hit the head. It's great. Um, well, even if he did, that wouldn't be a penalty either. Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth says greetings again from Skarplinge in the municipality of Tirp in Sweden. Uh, first, if the NHL took player safety seriously, why do they constantly put the foxes to guard the hen house? Goons have goon values and like goon plays. Lars, you're making too much sense. Yep. Two, Buffalo has Eichel and Darlene, but a coach so inept watching them makes your eyeballs try to escape your skull. We have Sider and Raymond in their gems, but arguably worse players than the Sabres duo and an equally poor coach. One thing we have going for us is Eisman. What I'm trying to say is if we don't get superstar picks soonish, how far away are we from becoming as tragic as Buffalo and as content with losing as they are? Could we end up there? Are we losing the essence of the Red Wings as the Sabres have lost their spirit? Or is this rock bottom and only way to go is up? No, this is a uh, Red Wings fans don't want to admit it. This is a very real possibility, and it's still just as likely to go that way as the other way because we don't know. We're in the middle of it. The Red Wings could get a new coach this summer, bring in Cider and a couple of the other young guys, have a good draft, and they're on the up and up. Or Blasio could be back. They continue with this, keep all the young guys in the minors. Cider might be the only rookie next year, and yeah, it. It settles in like rot. So I tend to be on the optimistic side. Our prospects are good enough that they will save us, but it could very well still go that way. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic. The fact that Eisman's there makes me think that that's just not the path. I don't think what's happening to Buffalo is typical. I that's think you the, need to be a special kind of bad. I, I, Eisman being there is the only reason I don't lean the other way. Evan Beckner says, I think the NHL is scared to punish headshots because it would affect any current litigation involving former players of CTE. Punishing these hits would be openly admitting they cause harm be- beyond the ice and maybe opening doors to to them having to open their wallets. Just a theory. Uh, I don't think it's a theory. I think you're completely correct. Brent Rasmick says, Ovechkin ha- already considered to be uh, by many the greatest goal scorer, uh, but will he surpass the record? As it stands, he's seventh with 713, needs 182 more, and he'll be 36 next season. This season, seven goals and 19 games played. Odds, he breaks the record, and if not, do you three consider him the best goal scorer already? I think with the loss of games and time, I don't see it happening anymore, but to me, he's already the greatest goal scorer of all time. I don't think that's a question for me anymore. Yeah, I tend to fall in that category. Uh, He played through a good chunk of his career in the dead puck era 2.0. He's missed one and a half seasons now due to lockout, another quarter of a season due to a pandemic, and it's still plausible he breaks Gretzky's goal record, which is insane. Now, I know Gretzky had half a season of a lockout and injuries, yada, yada, yada. Everything balances out, which is fair. But yeah, there's there's other guys who could make a case for two. That you wouldn't even think of, but yeah, no. Ovi's Ovi's the goat. 
Red Wings Relativity Scale says this team is like a drug. I get excited watching the games, get disappointed, and then when there isn't a game every other day, I start to get anxious until the next one. Mm-hmm. Anyways, what's your go-to delivery slash pickup food? Mel and I do takeout Fridays under the guise of supporting local, but mostly because of who we are as people. Um, we have had sushi from the same place six. I'm not kidding when I make up the stat six out of the last nine weeks. What place? Uh, Jinzakaya. I haven't had it from there yet. It's decent. It's a decent price for honestly. If you're going to get sushi through food delivery company, who you won't name because no free ads, um, it's not bad. I'll are we talking? Are we talking about game food or just like food? Food. Take it. Take it. Yeah. Um, depends on the mood, but generally, I find my my uh, self circling back to uh, re- there's this one place on Weber Street that has like unbelievable uh, shawarma. <laughs> Growing up with yeah. Middle Eastern food, I never... Anyways, yeah, go ahead, Evan. I was trying to think of what... Unfortunately, our most common takeout food is pizza because it's quick, it's cheap, and it just fills a void in my life <laughs> that I that I need to fill. Um, yeah, I wish I could had a better answer than that, but I don't. That I respect that, Evan, but it makes me sad for you because this pizza, this city's pizza is terrible. Like, god-awful. There is a good one that we did find. It's a little bit more expensive, but they use really good ingredients. And it is so good. All right, text me the name. I'm curious. I'll I have come to from- remember it, but then I will tell you it. <laughs> god. This is Being Friends with Evan, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> appropriately, the next comment is from, and I'm Devin. Uh, first of all, to everyone who listens and is on the fence about becoming a patron, it's worth it. I've only been one for a couple weeks and I already feel like I have a fantastic group of new friends. That being said, thank you to everyone who joined and watched the Canucks game on Saturday to celebrate my birthday. Happy belated again, Devin. And thank you, Ryan, for playing NHL 21 and giving me a normal blowout wings game for my birthday. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, bullying Brad on Twitter out of boredom says, Brad, have you ever tried out the textured slash grippy stick blades? Any chance they eventually render stick taping obsolete? Absolutely not. Um, I've tried them, not on the ice. Um, not a fan. Um, the ones I've tried are either not grippy at all or way too grippy. Uh, mostly the latter. You lose that little bit of control that you get with taping your stick because some guys like it a little thicker, a little more spread out, yada, yada, yada. Even though it's something very basic, it is personalized to everybody and hockey players generally like control of those little details. So I think Heronic might be using it or he might be using no tape at all. I don't know. I haven't had a clear look at his stick, but I'm concerned. Um, But yeah, I don't think it'll ever replace taping. We'll see tape evolve before we find a different method to replace it. Future Hall of Famer Chris Osgood says Chris Osgood for Hall of Fame. Say fresh cheese bags. Thanks, Chris. Terry Driver of Evans Furk Wagon says good day, Dud Duds. Terry the Driver here. What happened to Bert? Ollie and I are about to start a search party. Also, uh, for Evan Glue Sniffer, Nubs Non is located in Harbor Springs, Michigan. Down for a pub crawl? I, I I I didn't know that that was the name of a bar or that someone would name their bar that, but yes, yes, I'm in. 
Uh, Stevie Langerman says, Hey gents, uh, comment last week reminded me of this. I lost a bet with my buddy from Chicago on the 2013 series. We watched game seven together and he laughed in my face after worst memory as a wings fan in my life. Uh, bet was loser had to wear the other team's Jersey for a week. So there's still a photo of me on my Instagram wearing, uh, wearing it that I'm never allowed to delete. So two quick questions, worst bet that you've ever lost. And what's your worst memory as a wings fan? Okay. We all know what the worst memory is and that's 2009. Yeah, let's not relive that. Didn't happen. Doesn't exist. You can't convince me otherwise. Worst bet I've ever lost. I'm not a big gambler. I'm boring answer. I'm not coming up with anything. I I when I bet it's my money. It's not my like. I yeah, wear exactly. Jerseys for weeks or something like that. You lose forty bucks. You lose forty bucks. But I've never had to stand on like a street corner with a sign because I lost fantasy or anything like that. I've. You have have something, Evan. Evan's got to have something. I've lost (sighs) nothing interesting. Yeah, I lost a bet. It was thinking that housing prices would go down. (laughs) And it's going to cost me like a quarter of a million dollars probably. (laughs) I'm currently losing that bet as well. Don't worry. Uh, All right. We have time for some questions from Reddit and Twitter. Um, This one from Russell18 says, So the NCAA season finished two days before the trade deadline. Uh, I don't follow college hockey. Are there any pending free agents who could come in and fill roster spots after trading away a pending uh, UFA? Yeah, there's so there's a few. Um, I've been trying to keep better, pay better attention to it this year, just because uh, we get this question quite a bit. It's been more difficult, obviously. Um, first one that comes to mind, and I don't know, I don't really see this for the Red Wings unless Bernie gets traded away. But uh, Michigan guy Strauss Man with two N's. Um, I don't know if it's Strauss or Strauss, but um, he's obviously an excellent call or uh, sorry, goalie in, in the NCAA playing for Michigan. So a little bit more exposure to him. Um, he'll be highly coveted. I think that's the caveat with all these NCAA players. There's going to be guys going after all of them. Um, and then another one, I, I can't remember his first name, but I think it's Kirstad Kirstead. Uh, he plays for North Dakota, and that's another guy who's obviously getting a lot of exposure because of the program. Um, he's one of the foremost like NCAA targets that I've seen talked about dating back to like last November. So uh, he's known as one of those defensemen who over time just became a very smart uh, player. Um, reminds me a lot of the same kind of things we were hearing about Danny DeKaiser, and that's not meant to scare anyone, um, but it's just like Typically, when defensemen mature in the NCAA, it's because maybe they didn't have the most world-breaking skill once they were entering college hockey, which is why they didn't go straight to the NHL or anything like that. But they they matured into really smart defensemen, which are valuable for teams. Um, and I'm seeing here now, literally, as I look it up, uh, that Pronman did his annual write-up on free agents. And this is, seems to be both uh, Europe and the NCAA. And he notes someone else, and you're going to recognize his name, uh, defenseman from Minnesota State, Akito Hiroshi. Yes, that is brother of Taro. So that's another player to look out for. Um, actually, you should probably go read Promen's article. He'll do a better job than me. Um, cross crease pass says last summer I was strongly against trading Mantha because I thought he'd help a talent starved team and still be valuable to the wings, but I'm beginning to have second thoughts. Is Mantha simply a very talented, but woefully inconsistent player or has the time off this past year and everything with it have him not 100% focused? How critical should we really be at least for this year? Why not both? (sighs) 
That's the correct answer. It's it's a spectrum, right? Like it's okay to be critical this season without extrapolating to broad conclusions about his entire career. And it's okay to say he's underperforming without completely devaluing him as a player. Uh, Yarvik7 says, how pissed will you be on March 9th if Geno's out of the lineup if he's sitting in the press box while Franz Nielsen is in against the Lightning? A, hopping frickin' mad, let's cause some mayhem. B, really pissed, I'm turning this shit off. C, a little pissed, it is what it is. D, not pissed at all, pass me another beer. I'm going to go with a little pissed. He's done everything to earn his spot in the lineup, and Jeff Blashill's own words said, I'm going to give him eight minutes and see what he does with it. I'm going to give him nine minutes, see what he does. He's passing with flying colors, Jeff, which, by the way, um, on an episode where we have to fill a little more time, I think I've figured Jeff Blashill out. And like, I, it sounds like a joke, but I actually think I figured out what sets him off. Um, and if Svechnikov is scratched on Tuesday, which based on practice today looks like he will be. I think I might be right. So we'll talk about it then. But yeah, I, I'm i over this crap of players earning their spot and then losing it for no particular reason. Or I'm not even going to say that. I know why. I have a theory. And it's, it's bad. I'm still going to be very critical of it. But I think I might have something. All right, we have time for one question here, and I see a good one from Eric on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to name a bunch of players, and you guys very quickly, yes or no, say, would you trade him for Dylan Larkin? Sorelli? No. Brodeen? No. Brodeen? Yeah. Good God, no. Burns? No. Eckholm? No. Fox? No. 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 Hurdle? We're not even in the same realm here. No, I know. Okay, I'm going to keep going and you let me know if there's a yes. Horvat, William Carlson, Travis Konechny, JT Miller, Max Pacioretty, Ryan Pulak, Tyler Sagan, Ryan Suter, Vladimir Tarasenko, Kachuk, Blake Wheeler. Ah, uh, Vladdy, maybe. How old's Tarasenko? He's... Isn't he like 29? Yeah, he's not as young as you might think he is. I was fooled by this the other day too. Yeah, I think he's 28. So yeah, no. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he's 29. So 29, yeah, no. That's no for all of them. So the the context here was that was the 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 athletics top one hundred players, and he had me read out the four B tier. I won't even get to the four C tier. Larkin's four A. Yeah, the the catch twenty two there is context matters. A lot of the players that were listed, I would argue, are better players than Dylan Larkin right now. But yeah. You have to factor in age, contract, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, if I had to win a game tomorrow, would I rather have uh, Brent Burns or Dylan Larkin right now? Brent Burns. Like, but would I rather Dylan Larkin or Vladimir Tarasenko? Tarasenko. But you don't factor that stuff solely in while making a trade. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you midweek on Wednesday after the Tampa game on Tuesday night and before the next Tampa game on Thursday. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, those who support us on Patreon, um, the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, as well as our name level sponsors on Patreon. That is Arjun Shanker, Ease Bartel on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, uh, Terry Driver of Evans Firk Wagon, Taylor Tagel, Ryan Hubbard, R.A., Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greach, Jake Kiefer, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Qasem, 
Hanna Lee, Sam Bankson, Andrew Bohan, Jeremy Brocker, Kevin McCracken, Josh Yelton, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pavavar, Evans Bingo Card, Connor Leighton, Butt Shit, Matt Keeler, future Hall of Famer Chris Osgood, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minema, Quaz, Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. And we will see you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.